0: Welcome to Current True Crime, with me, your host, Mimi Mazigo. Today's episode covers the disturbingly morbid case of two teenagers lost in their own twisted roleplay fantasies, resulting in the death of a child. While today's case is solved, we will be left with the question, why did this happen? Thank you to Vix Mac, Lala, Jay Colomo, Ben Jones, Ashley Rigby, and William White for their support on Patreon. I'm genuinely so surprised at your kindness and support you've given me. If you'd like to join my patrons, you'll receive ad-free early access episodes, weekly Korean true crime vocabulary hinting at the content of the next episode, exclusive access to vote on future episode topics, and the occasional bonus content. There are no tiers, so all patrons gain access to everything. If you'd like to support me with your love, find me on most social media sites at Korean True Crime. Video podcasts are available a week later on YouTube, and show notes are available for free on Patreon. Today's episode contains description of the murder of a child, as well as fantasies about abuse. All names used in today's episode are pseudonyms. What was that? We begin with a love story between two very disturbed teenagers, Min Sa and Eunju. Sa was a 16-year-old girl who grew up seeing psychiatrists and counselors for her various mental health issues. She had a history of concerning behavior that began in elementary school. When she felt frustrated with other students, she would harm herself. Although she never claims to have been bullied by other students, she would continue to separate herself from her peers throughout school. At age 11, Minsaw began herding animals. She says that she had strangled a stray cat that she found on the road, as well as dissecting dead birds she would find. She had begun to see professionals for her behavior, but it made very little difference as she continued to show cries for help or attention. When Minsaw entered middle school, she was at her all-time low and attempted to kill herself by hanging from the school's railing before a teacher came and saved her life. When speaking about that time now, Minsaw said that she had no intention or desire to die that day. And she didn't know why she felt like she needed to do that. This is also the same time that Minsaw began smoking on the school's rooftop. While most of her peers knew very little about her, Minsaw had a very active community of friends online. She had unrestricted internet access, which led to her joining forum websites geared towards roleplay of all kinds of topics. Some of this roleplay occurred over Twitter, where she maintained multiple accounts with different characters she wanted to roleplay as. A lot of this content was geared towards adults. Korea wasn't and is only just now occasionally becoming respectful towards queer and LGBTQIA people. So as Min began to express her queer identity online, the articles written about her, as she will prove herself to be a murderer, focus on her sexuality as a factor into her decline of evilness. As a queer woman, this narrative is just not true, and I love and support all of my LGBTQIA listeners. I love all of you. Korea is changing for the better, and we can only hope and encourage people to be better, but uh, homophobia and transphobia have no place on Korean true crime. So let's continue understanding that someone's sexuality doesn't make them or prevent them from being a murderer. In high school, when Min was 15, she came out online as queer and was dating a bigender person. She had recently met and fallen in love with Unju. Unju was 17 at this time. All of their tweets are still available on Twitter, but their accounts have been made private. Screenshots are available, though, so we can still read most of their conversations. Unju and Minsal had a very public online relationship, and they publicly tweeted each other to have conversations, as many people did during this time. They fought, broke up, apologized, and rekindled their relationship all over public Twitter. During their fights, some of the tweets that Minsaw made were incredibly violent. She would write, I just want to beat her head in with a stick. Together, they began opening multiple different Twitter accounts dedicated to increasingly violent roleplay. They created alter egos and personas with each other and other people where they would act out violent and abusive scenarios through written roleplay. These communities aren't inherently bad, but for these two teenage girls, their stories were becoming a reflection of their true desires. At first, they roleplayed over Twitter about a dominant and submissive sexual relationship. Keep in mind they're both teenage girls. They also ran accounts dedicated to games such as Runpa and Rusty Lake Hotel. These community groups weren't toxic because of the games, but were a problem because of the people in them. They Started out as role plays about killing people, which then turned into fantasies about cooking and eating people. They even shared recipes about what body parts would taste best. Of course, Min-san and Ju even partook in drawing cartoons with murdered people or cartoons of people eating corpses. Very dark topics for a 15 and 17 year old teenager. If you read about this case, you're likely to see a lot of buzz about the two teens being radical feminists. Radical feminism has a very extreme history in South Korea, and dare I say, in my opinion, Korea is a very extremist opinion society, with only the loudest, most extreme opinions being heard pretty much anywhere. It's most likely a result of their incredibly conservative culture and history, but it's an oversimplification. Min San Unju often used a term that was coined by the very extreme feminist groups. I won't really say that they're feminist because they have very little to do with equality. The term was Han which equates to kind of like saying men are larva. This was coined to describe Korean men who were so misogynistic that they couldn't even see women as people. The issue lies in that these groups had websites dedicated to wanting the mass genocide of men and boys with very graphic images and fantasies. That's why you may see that Koreans don't like the fingers pinching symbol uh, that we in English used to signify, oh, just a little bit, as this pinching symbol was their logo. To describe men's manhood. Minsa and Unju, however, were just teenagers online being edgy. So we know a little bit about their relationship and about their bizarre plunge into a very macabre online community at such a young age. After about two years of knowing each other, Minsa and Unju would reach the point of no return. On the morning of March 29th, 2017, at 1 a.m., Minsa calls Unju and says, I promise I'll bring you the body parts when I. I'm done. This recording would be played in court as Enchi recorded all of their calls. Minso began searching online for various alarming topics, including the Namyangju impossible murder case that I covered in episode 7 The Ghost Murderer of Namyangju, where a murder suspect couldn't be apprehended following the murder of a woman. She continued to search for how to avoid CCTV cameras, how various people got away with murder. By 3 a.m., she was searching for Underage murder, how to get rid of blood's luminol reaction, and is it illegal to throw cremated remains into the sea? Finally, she searched for the schedule of the elementary school next to her apartment building. At 12 p.m., Minsaw sent Unju a picture of her disguised in a hoodie and loose clothes with the text, I'm going out hunting. Unju asked her, What time does the elementary school end? and added, One of them will die. Minso replied, Elementary schools end early. It was then that Minso left her apartment and walked to a nearby playground outside of the elementary school. She'd been there often in the last week, watching the kids. Various parents had seen her, but assumed that she was an older sibling. At 12:45, Minso saw Ari, a seven-year-old girl playing on the playground with her friends. They were some of the last kids on the playground, and when Ari’s friends left, she was alone. Minso walked up to the girl and told her that she should call her parents to come pick her up. Minso held out her cell phone and said, "Here." you can use my phone, but she'd already taken the battery out. Acting surprised, she told the girl, my battery must be dead, but I live across the street, and you can use my home phone to call your parents. Minso knew Ari's parents came later, as she'd seen her all week. Ari agreed and followed Minso to her apartment building. When they got on the elevator, Minso pressed the button for her floor, the 15th floor, but remembered there's a CCTV camera just outside of the elevator, so instead, she pressed 13 and made an excuse to the girl why they needed to climb those two flights of stairs. Minso promised Ari she can play with the cat while they waited for her parents to come. Minso claims to have very vague memory of what happens next and often changed her story during interrogation, but the investigators pieced together that Minso brought the girl into her apartment, let her play with the family cat, and snuck behind her with a charging cable. Minso Strangled Ari until she was dead. She checked for breathing and a pulse multiple times. Unju received a text at 1.30 saying, I caught her. It's a girl, and I wrapped a wire around her neck. Paranoid, Unju responded, Did you check the CCTV? Minso confirmed that she did. Unju asked, Are her fingers pretty? Minso says, Yes, they are. And Unju tells her, Calm down and take care of the body now. Warning, this part of the case I will describe in some detail as to what happens next. I don't describe gruesome details out of respect for victims. I will have some details to give context to further parts of the case. Minso brought Ari's body to the bathroom and undressed the child. She used a kitchen knife to sever the fingers on the girl's right hand. She cut open the girl's abdomen and removed all of her organs before placing them in bags used for food waste Recycling. The fingers, however, were placed inside separate food waste bags, then sealed inside a large mailing envelope. The girl's body was dismembered and separated into two large, opaque trash bags. The trash bags were then placed inside a suitcase. Minso cleaned the bathroom, and when she was done, it was 3 p.m. She left the apartment, dragging the large suitcase behind her, up the stairs to the rooftop. There wasn't any CCTV on the rooftop, so we don't know how Mensah was able to accomplish this on her own, but she says that she climbed the ladder to the water tower through the bags inside Enclosed closed the hatch. This took her a very long time, and she returned to her apartment an hour later to change her clothes and leave the apartment again at 4 p.m. At the same time, Ari's parents were calling the police. Their child was missing from the playground. When minsell left her apartment to walk towards the subway station, the police were already searching the neighborhood. The only thing minsell had with her was the sealed envelope, which she carried tight to her body as she rode the subway to meet up with a At a room cafe. A room cafe is where you can, for a very cheap fee, rent a private room that has TV, couches, games, cheap snacks like ramen, chips, ice creams, coffee, etc. And you can hang out with your friends. Minso claims that she gave Eunju the envelope, and Eunju said she loved it. But Eunju would deny ever knowing that there were severed fingers inside the envelope. She would actually claim that she thought the fingers were fake. But neither of their testimonies can fully be believed believed. Unju and Minso then shared alcoholic drinks that they brought as they talked about the murder. Minso's parents had already come home from work while she was away. After a few hours, she left to return home at 9pm. All while they were having drinks, spending time together, Ari's family was desperately searching the neighborhood with the police. Someone on the street had seen Ari with the person wearing a hoodie entering Minso's apartment complex. It wasn't long after that when they found the remains in the water tower at 10 30 p.m. just shortly after Minsel had arrived home but they wouldn't catch her then. Two hours later at 12 40 a.m. a few hours after Minsel got back home and 12 hours since Minsel kidnapped Ari the police knocked on her door. She had been seen getting on the elevator with Ari and they'd been able to identify her when she left later that day. Minsel was arrested and taken to the police station. At first Minsel denied any involvement, but Ari's shoes were in her entryway to her apartment, a detail that she'd overlooked. It wasn't long for the police to find the poorly cleaned bloodstains in the bathroom, Ari's clothes in the garbage, and her organs were still sealed in food disposal bags placed in the family's food recycling garbage bin. The investigation was moving quickly as Minsel admitted to the murder but was adamant that it was an accident. See, Minso immediately claimed to be both schizophrenic and to be suffering from Asperger's syndrome. Side note, Asperger's syndrome is no longer the correct word to describe someone who has autism spectrum disorder. But I'd rather not change the details of what was said during the case, but it should be said that this is not correct terminology. Minso claimed that she suffered from hallucinations from her schizophrenia, and when her lawyer arrived, they claimed she should be given special treatment as she has Asperger's syndrome, which made her incapable of understanding the situation, which isn't exactly true of people with ASD. Minso had been seen for depression and psychopathic symptoms, but not for hallucinations or ASD. Minso Saw continued to say things like, I can't really remember what happened, or I just remember she was bullying my cat and I grabbed her. That's the last thing I remember. Later, she even tried to say, you know, I have multiple personalities and it it was an evil personality that killed the girl. Her lawyer was clearly building an insanity plea defense, but the detective saw straight through this as a lot of the evidence they had already showed that the crime was carefully planned out. And as they were interrogating her, they were collecting records of her calls, texts, and social networking site direct messages. Minsaw did not name Unju, but this was still just the first day of interrogation. Ari's parents had raised allegations towards Minsaw's parents for potentially being at fault or even being involved in the murder of their daughter. Since Minsaw had already admitted to the crime, they put the blame on Minsa's parents, believing that they could get more justice by going after the parents than Minso herself. Minso's parents had allowed their teenage daughter, who is being seen for depression and destructive mental illness symptoms, with suicide behavior in the past, go out alone and not return until late at night. She was home unsupervised and wasn't in school. They didn't call or text Minso to ask where she was or even check on her. They were completely unconcerned about the whereabouts of their own daughter. As well, when Minso's parents came home, Ari shoes were in the entryway to their apartment where the shoes go in a Korean home. This area is quite small even in a large apartment like theirs, so it would be near impossible to not notice an 8-year-old shoes in your entryway. On top of this, the stench in the home from the blood was nauseating, with some of the blood being poorly cleaned in their shared bathroom. While both the parents had alibis for not being home at the time of the murder, their obliviousness was suspicious. The police continued to interrogate Minso for a week until April 11th. The police got an arrest warrant for Eunju after receiving Minso's call records. Minso continued to protect Eunju and refused to mention any involvement that Eunju may have had, even when presented with their text message Unju was arrested, but her family, much more wealthy than Minso's, paid for an entire team of lawyers to defend her. Over the next two months, they would continually question about the events that occurred. The police knew that to get to the bottom of something like this, they needed the girls to turn on one another because they were just supporting each other's stories at this point. But Minso's lawyers continued to claim that she never intended to harm the girl, and Unju's lawyers insisted that Unju just believed that this was all of fantasy roleplay like her and Minso had done online. Not much progress was being made until June 23, 2017, the date of the first trial, which was for Inju's involvement in statement. Thanks to an anonymous person who attended the trial and took very detailed notes, we're able to know exactly what took place. Only fifteen people from the public were allowed in. The judge announced that Unju's official charge was aiding and abetting murder. The evidence of the crime was presented. Ari's severed fingers in the envelope, opened and discarded in the food waste bag that Minsaw put them in. Unju had thrown them away. Presumably they were thrown away after Minsaw was arrested because Minsaw had texted Unju. Unju's statement was that she threw away the fingers in the trash directly after meeting with Minsaw, afraid of angering her friend and being terrified to discover the roleplay scenario was actually real. Minso appeared as a witness at the trial as well. When swearing in the witness oath, stating that she would state the truth of her own testimony that she had given, Minso rolled her eyes and said, I don't know what I said. This is like a Girl Scout's oath, not a witness oath. This is so dumb. She seemed more annoyed than remorseful and definitely didn't display any sadness. Minso's following statement supported. Her insanity plea that one of her multiple personalities committed the crime. But as they questioned her regarding Unju's statements that she never wanted the fingers and that she was afraid of Min-sa, her story began to change. She seemed offended that Unju would lie like that and blurted out, Unju was the one who asked me to kill someone. The entire room went silent. The prosecutor asked, So, Unju asked you to kill someone? Min knew that she had said something she couldn't take back. Min said that Unju knew she had an evil alter ego and that she continued to encourage it. Min also stated that in their conversations, she believed that Unju truly wanted her to kill someone, and she said they had that conversation more than 20 times. This was a huge turning point in the case. While the investigators couldn't get them to flip on each other before, Minsah was switching now. This is when one of their text conversations was also shown to the court. Minsah had sent messages to Unju after her arrest, as she was a minor, she wasn't held in jail, so she was allowed to stay at home with her family. So she had been texting Enju. Unju asked, I'm sorry, is there anything that will get me tangled up in all of this? Minsah reassured her, Now, I can't say for sure, but it doesn't seem like we're gonna get away with it. I'm sorry. Unju texted her back. Please, I don't know know how many times i vomited already from worry. Minso responded, I'm saying this happened because of my mental illness. I promise I won't forget you. Unju said, I like you a lot. Do you believe me? I'll call you later. I'm sorry I can't see you. I'll buy you flowers. Minso's lies were being easily seen through. The next trial was set for July 6, in which Inju's lawyers asked for the trial to be sped up and finished prior to the end of the year when their client Inju would turn 19 and legally be considered an adult. There really wasn't anything they could do to speed up the trial, however. See, in Korea minors have special protections under the law. Under the age of 10, you cannot be punished for any crime. Even murder. Ten to fourteen, you're only subject to juvenile detention for any crime. Each fourteen to nineteen, you are subject to the law, but the maximum sentence has limits. With life in prison being twenty years, after Unju would turn nineteen that year, she could be given a much heftier sentence. Min-Saw, however, couldn't, despite being the actual murderer, because she was only sixteen. Unju was allowed to speak during this trial and pleaded with Min-Saw to stop lying during the investigation because because the police had every phone call that they ever made because Eunju saved them on her phone. She liked re-listening to their conversations when she was lonely. Her nostalgia would make this case a lot easier. The next trial was on July 12th. They allowed for Ari's parents to give a victim impact statement, while Minso sat uninterested in what was being said. Then Eunju's statement came. She spoke about her relationship with Minso, to which Minso had said Eunju first pursued. But Eunju said something different. She said that it was Minso who asked her out and that to her, their relationship was just online roleplay. She never actually thought they were dating and denied liking, loving, or even caring about Mensah. She insisted that their relationship was just a joke to her and a part of a silly Twitter roleplay game. Mensah sat listening to this, blankly staring off with no visible response. They convened until August 4th, when the private Twitter DMs could be secured and entered into evidence. These logs were presented in court and proved that Unju wasn't manipulating Minsaw into killing people, and that Minsaw had thoroughly planned to kill someone. They both had planned to kill someone. Minsaw's charge didn't change, but Unju's crime was changed to co conspirator to commit murder, a heftier charge than aiding and abetting. In the final trials, August 10th and August 29th, they re reviewed the text messages. Unju's team of lawyers continued to minimize her involvement in the murder, but nothing would be changed. As the closing statements were made, prosecuting attorney Na Chang-soo said, when the accused were praising one another for the crime, holding the body parts of a child, Ari's parents were desperately searching the neighborhood for their child. When a child dies like this, their parents die too. Following further victim impact statements, Dr. Cha, Minso's psychiatrist, gave a statement prior to the sentencing as testimony about Minso's mental illness. Her insanity plea would be decided based off this. Dr. Cha presented that over 26 meetings, he had seen symptoms of depression and difficulty with social interaction, such as difficulties understanding nuances. He believed that she had psychotic symptoms, but she wasn't diagnosed with anything. During the trial, Minsal's lawyers continued to insist that she had Asperger's syndrome and schizophrenia, but Dr. Cha clarified that she had not been diagnosed with either of these, but did have similar symptoms. But those symptoms can also be shared with a plethora of other issues. He said, adolescents with these symptoms are easily influenced by their peers. Dr. Cha revealed that Min Sol had made violent wishes in their sessions, such as, I wish two thirds of humanity would die. In Dr. Cha's opinion, Min Sol was suffering from psychopathy and understood the consequences of her actions. Afterwards, Unju's final statement was heard. She went to the witness stand and they made Minsa sit unable to see her. Unju testified that when they role played, Unju took on a dominant role that Minsa liked. Minsa had asked to be the submissive character and that she never forced Minsa to do anything. Chat logs were shown to the judge that displayed various scenarios of physical and sexual abuse force feeding, beatings and cannibalism. As Unju finished her statement, despite being turned away from Unju, Minsa began to slowly clap and laugh, as if commending Unju's performance. Unju added finally before leaving. I recognize the circumstances of the crime as Minsaw's delusions and role play. Minsaw was the last to give a statement. She sobbed at the witness stand. She said, I think it would be useful for me to rejoin society, but I can't stand it. Please kill me. How can someone kill and keep living? Ari's family must be so sad. I'm so tired. I can't remember anything. I feel crazy. Please hand down the death penalty or I'll hang myself. I want to die so badly but I can't do it myself because if I did it people would be sad. despite her emotional display, Minsal was sentenced to 20 years in prison and her insanity plea was denied. Unju was tried as an adult and was sentenced to life in prison. A year later in 2018, Minsal was given an additional 30 years of ankle monitoring if she got out of prison. Anju's sentence was shortened to 13 years. They remain in prison to this day. This case had a lot of scapegoats that I think were used as crutches to avoid the blaringly obvious problem in both of these teen girls' lives. With unrestricted internet access, no supervision, exposure to extreme ideologies, violent media, bad influences, they both had parents that did absolutely nothing to step in and teach them right from wrong. Minso was sent to therapy and ignored while she talked to strangers online, attempted suicide, and even was fantasizing about cannibalism and murder. The adults in her life failed her, and a monster was allowed to be created. It gives us a lot to think about, but if you have a child or a brother or sister, you know, check up on them. Make sure they're doing okay because there's a lot of darkness out there on the internet. Thank you for listening to Korean True Crime. If you'd like to hear more, follow the show wherever you listen and be sure to leave a review. It really helps me out a lot. If you'd like to send feedback, find me on all social media sites at Korean True Crime. See you next time.